0: Well, please turn, if you would, to Romans chapter nine. And we have been spending some time in the book of Romans. We've spent three messages in chapter eight, and we come to chapter nine. And really what brings together some of the past messages on who God is. We've been beholding our God, looking at his excellencies and His, his character throughout scripture and and we're going to see what's mentioned more times in the Bible than any of those other studies. It's, it's arguably the most mentioned reality about God and, and the motivating reality of all that He does and the message that He has for all of the world till the end of time. I think as we study God, this is something we can be so familiar with. We hear it. We can overlook it. But it, it is in some ways an overarching and unifying and defining phrase that ties all of his attributes together and that drives all of his attributes forward. And that phrase is, the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. This is a massive subject in Scripture with massive implications for us. And so as we're studying God's characteristics in Romans, we come to his name, and his name really is his, is his character, it's, it's not a separate attribute. His name is the sum of His attributes. It's also the purpose of, of all that He does. So look with me at Romans 9.17. This will be our, our main passage and starting point here. The Scripture says to Pharaoh... And by the way, this is God speaking to Pharaoh. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. This is what it says, what it said to him. For this very purpose... I have raised you up, he says to Pharaoh, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. We saw his power earlier in Romans chapter 1. But here we come to his his purpose that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. This is God's purpose. His name means his fame or his renown, his reputation would be other words. His name also is used sometimes interchangeably with his glory. So you speak of his name, we speak of his glory, we, we can think of his identity, the reality of who he is, all of that is encompassed when you see that phrase, the name of the Lord in Scripture. And what I want to do today is look at this phrase in scripture look at this theme in scripture here's what mark jones writes in his book god is a devotional guide to the attributes of god his name is identical with his attributes in terms of how he manifests them to us in his word it's his character the sum of his attributes and he says this to know his name is to know him his name is His person. It's, it's who He is. And so what I want to do today is look at what does it mean to proclaim the name of the Lord? And then what does that mean for us? So if you want to follow along, we're, we'll be looking at what does it mean to proclaim the name of the Lord? Starting in this passage, but looking at others. And then what does this mean for us? Charles Spurgeon, in his first sermon that was ever published in the New Park Street pulpit, began with these words saying, the greatest subject which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name and the nature of the great God. He says, I know of nothing which can so comfort the soul. I know of nothing that can so calm the heart in sorrow and grief. I know of nothing that can so speak peace in the winds of trial. It is to this subject, He says, I invite you this morning... Blessed be his dear name. There's many passages we could look at in Scripture that speak of his name and how those truths that I just read about or experienced Job in that darkest day of his life when he lost his children and all that he had. He was able to say, the Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. But blessed be what? The name God. Of the Lord, That's where his refuge is. In, in the character of the Lord. Solomon said, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous can run into it and are safe. His name, His character, who He is, when, when you need safety, you can run into Him. It's a, it's a strong tower. It's a refuge His name is. Some of the other Psalms say, our help is in the name of the Lord and our hope is in His name. Remember when David stood before Goliath. Everyone else feared this great giant and David said to him, you come against me with a sword and a javelin and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord whom you have defied. And the Lord will give you into my hands and I will strike you down so that all the world will know that there is a God in Israel. That's what God was doing when he raised up Goliath, but also when he raised up Pharaoh in our passage here. That the name of Israel's God would be proclaimed in all the earth. That name that was revealed to Israel was to be revealed through Israel to the nations. And so that's what the end of Romans 9, 17 is is talking about. With Pharaoh, he was raised up so that God would put his power on display and his name to, to to the world. But look also at verse 15. What's he doing to his people Israel? He says, verse 15, to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. This is part of what he was revealing in that time of Moses and Pharaoh and And that subject of His mercy deserves its own message. We'll look at that next week. But that's part of the context of verse 17. His power and His name was made known to Pharaoh in judgment and to Moses in mercy. Both of those things are the revealing of His name. And both of those quotes that Paul gives are from the book of Exodus and and what it means to proclaim the the name of the Lord. So let's turn back to Exodus and we're going to spend a lot of time in that context, back in Exodus, chapter 33 is where we'll start. And this is Moses on the mountain. I think we can go back a little bit in the slides. But this is Moses on the mountain asking the Lord if he can see more of who he is. Exodus thirty-three nineteen. 19, look at it. This is God speaking to Moses. He said this, The Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. That's what Paul's quoting from in Romans. And notice it's the Lord himself proclaiming his name. If we want to know what it means to proclaim the name of the Lord, let's start with how He proclaims His name. The Lord, merciful and gracious. And He's sovereign in His grace and His mercy. But I want you to notice the Lord there. It's in all capital letters. In the Hebrew, that's the name Yahweh. Or in older times, they thought it might be pronounced Jehovah. We see that in the King James and hymns. Most scholars Today, I believe it's, it was pronounced Yahweh, but there's some mystery because many of the Jews wanted to be careful in saying the name, and so they actually substituted other names for it. And so, even in our translations, we'll see the word Lord for two different names, but this one, when it's all capitals in your English translation, that's His covenant name. Some of the Jews call it, to this day, the name. They, they speak of God as the name, Hashem. But in English, the Lord is a title, but Yahweh is his proper name that he proclaims. The Hebrew title Adonai, that would be Lord, capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, that's used about 700 times in the Old Testament. But the proper name Yahweh, when you see that Lord in all capitals, it's used almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. This is the dominant name. This is the covenant name of how God reveals Himself. And, and many more times, the Bible speaks of His name. It's not names plural. It's His name singular. And this is a big deal in Scripture. This is a big subject in Scripture. This should impact us big time. Isaiah 42.8 I am Yahweh. That is My name. My glory I will give to no other. The Lord says. And even as I was preparing to to teach on this, I came across a news article online. This was two weeks ago in Haaretz. That's a publication in Israel. They found an artifact that may be more than 3,000 years old, maybe even 13th, 14th century B.C. with this name Yahweh on it in an ancient spelling, uh, much older than liberal scholars thought That name would have been used, but if so, if that date is correct, affirming very much from the time of Moses that name was in use. But Lord and God are not proper names. God is actually a generic title, and and even around the world, God is just used of of a deity in ancient times and in, in modern times. But Yahweh is the name that is proclaimed by Himself, it's His very name, it's His very nature. As a gracious, merciful Savior. So look at chapter 34, verse 5. The Lord, that's Yahweh, again descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord or the name of, of Yahweh. And what does he do when he's proclaiming his name? Verse 6. The, the Lord or Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And we saw that last week, that he's a just judge. That's part of his name, along with love and faithfulness and patience and grace, these Attributes that we've been studying through Romans. But notice, literally, Yahweh proclaims His name two times to make it emphatic. A God merciful and gracious. And in verse 8, Moses bows his head to the ground and he worships at the name of the Lord. To proclaim His name there is the Lord Himself shows us, is to declare His nature, declare His character, To declare who he is. Moses would pick up on this later in Deuteronomy 32. He says, I will proclaim the name of Yahweh. Ascribe greatness to our God. Call for songs of joys, O nations. He understood this was for the nations because he'd heard that from God himself. Proclaim his name there means uh, ascribe greatness to him. In all the nations, everyone needs to know this. Everyone needs to do this. So go back to Exodus 3 where God first proclaimed His name at the burning bush. And I'm going to be reading from a translation called the Legacy Standard Bible that, that uses the, the Hebrew name there for Lord. But you know the story of the burning bush. There was holy ground. Moses asks Him... In verse 14, verse 13 actually, he says, When they ask, what is his name, what shall I say? Verse 14 of Exodus 3, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me To you, this is my name forever. That name Yahweh. And this is my memorial name from generation to generation. In other words, he's unchanging. This is how he's always been. I am is related to that name. And then he goes on to say, I care about you. I have seen what's happening. He's coming as the covenant God to his people. And he says, tell them, My name forever is Yahweh. Go to chapter 5. Verse 1, Afterward Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh that I should listen to his voice to let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. Go to chapter 7. And this is the Lord speaking. Verse 5. Actually, verse 4, he talks about he's going to bring judgment because Pharaohs won't listen. Exodus 7, verse 5. Then, after judgment, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt, and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. Go to chapter 8, and the plagues begin to unfold. I trust you know at least a little bit of the story. And there comes a point where some of the magicians were trying to duplicate and show that they could do some of the same things, sort of. But in Exodus 8, verse Nineteen. They were unable to do what he did with the gnats. Exodus 8, 19. The magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened with strength, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken. So go to chapter 9. And this takes us now to that other passage that Paul quotes from in Romans 9. Exodus 9, verse 13. Yahweh said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, and you shall say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues against your heart and against your servants and your people, so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. Verse 15, For if by now I had sent forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have then been wiped out from the earth, but indeed, here it is, here's what Paul quotes, for this reason I have caused you to stand in order to show you my power and to make my name known or proclaim my name through all the earth. And yet, verse 17, you're still exalting yourself against my people. Well, that plague comes... In verse 20, but I just want you to notice before that, that he says, this is is why you exist. This is why I haven't wiped you out, Pharaoh. Because I'm going to put my name on display through you. I'm going to proclaim my name to all the earth. And some of the Egyptians around him are getting it. Look at verse 20. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of Yahweh made his servants and his livestock flee into their houses. The servants of this king are beginning to fear Yahweh. And then look at verse 27. Then Pharaoh, after this massive plague comes and is decimating their country, verse 27, Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. Yahweh is the righteous one and I and my people are the wicked ones. Entreat Yahweh. He's saying, plead with Yahweh for me. But we know sometimes what sounds like repentance is not repentance. And we can go through the story into chapter 10. His heart is continually hardened. Chapter 11, the final plague is death to the firstborns. Unless there is a Passover lamb it is slain, and the blood covers the doorposts of the homes in Egypt, and so the Israelites and those who feared the name of Yahweh did this, what he commanded them. They, they had a, a substitute. The, the lamb was allowed to die instead of the firstborn of the house dying, and the lamb was, the blood was spilt, the, the blood was put over the doors and the, the lintels of the frames, and the angel that was bringing death would pass over those who saw the blood and what's interesting they, they celebrate that and then you know the story they go out of Egypt then in chapter 13 and 14 and it says in chapter 14 there was, there was actually a mixed multitude also who went out with the Israelites in the Exodus and God had made the name his name great to all them so that they actually plundered them, they actually begged them to leave and they gave them their possessions and their gold but there were some non-Israelites that were a part of the Exodus, a mixed multitude, it says, went up with them out into the wilderness, and His name is now even beginning to be spread to others. But as they go, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. You know the story. He goes after them. God drowns the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Why did He do all of that? Romans nine seventeen says, It was to show His power and to proclaim His name to all the earth. In Exodus 15, they celebrate. They're praising His name. And it says in Exodus 15 that His name had been made known to the nations Philistia and Edom and Moab and Canaan. They're mentioning these names that have heard of what Yahweh has done in fear. And as you go into the Promised Land, in Joshua, there's a Canaanite prostitute. That's how far the name had gone. Prostitutes in Canaan had heard this. Here's what Rahab says in Joshua 2 to the Israelite spies. We have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Our hearts melted for Yahweh your God. He is the God of heaven and earth, Rahab says. And she becomes one of those of other nations who then joins the nation of Israel as well. And centuries later, Solomon Prayed as the temple, the house for his name was being made. He, he prayed and he said this in 1 Kings 8, that when a foreigner comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. Those are phrases for what he did in the Exodus. And he says, hear their prayer, Solomon says, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. Solomon understood what was going on when God stretched out his arm and showed his power and what he had told his forefathers, that this was all about his name going to all the earth. The psalmists understood this. They wrote things like this. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Israel rebelled by the Red Sea. They would sing this in their worship. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Just like we sang, great is thy faithfulness. We know those words. These would have been words that they sang regularly. God at the Red Sea, save them for his name's sake. To make known his mighty power. Just like Romans 9.17 says. To show my power. To proclaim my name. When they came back in the promised land in the days of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 9. This is part of what he says. Bless Yahweh. You gave signs and wonders against Pharaoh and against all of his servants. You made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them. He did it for His name. When that revival comes in Israel, they're understanding it's, a, it's for His name that He's been doing all this. And, and David said this, you made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. And David says in Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His, what, name together. We need to do this together. He understood our, our worship. One of the reasons it's important for us to gather is we, we magnify His name much more than just when we're by ourselves reading or singing. We, we magnify together. We exalt His name together. It's important for us to be together to do that because of His name. It's about His name. Isaiah. And, I, and there's so many passages here. You don't have to worry about trying to turn to them or writing, writing them down. But if you want to look at Isaiah 63 later, it says in the middle of the chapter, He led them by the right hand of Moses with His glorious arm, dividing the water before them to make for Himself an everlasting name. That's what He was doing. And so you lead. You, you still continue to lead your people. To make for yourself a glorious name. That's why he leads us still. It's it's for his name. It's for his glory To, to put it on display. It wasn't for Israel's name. It was for the sake of his name. They were sinners deserving God's wrath. They were sinners who deserved to be wiped out. But Isaiah 48, verse 9, listen to this one. God says, for the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. Why does God hold his wrath back? He says it. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order to not cut you off for my own sake. God says, for my own sake. He says it again. I will act for how can my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. That's Isaiah 48, 9 and 11. That is God's purpose. That is what he's doing still. And it's the key issue for everything. God's name, God's praise, God's glory. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. That name. Listen to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 20. God's going through his history again of Israel. He says, he sums it all up. I acted for the sake of my name. In the sight of the nations, in whose sight I made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. But then he talks about they were rebelling in the wilderness. I said I would pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness, but I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. And so again, he goes through their history, and again they rebelled, and his hand could have justly come against them. But he says this, quote, I turned back my hand, and I acted for the sake of my name. And then he says you will know that I am Yahweh when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways. You'll know who I am. You'll know that I'm the Lord because I deal with you not according to your evil ways but for the sake of my name. And Ezekiel says, Later, why God will restore and save Israel in end times after so many centuries of sin. Exodus 36, thus says the Lord Yahweh, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name I will prove the holiness of my great name. And he says, the nations will know that I am Yahweh. When I take you from the nations and I gather you from all the lands and bring you back into your own land so that you will inhabit the land that I gave to your fathers. He says, after he does that, I will save you from all your uncleanness. But he says, when that happens in the future, he says, just know I am not doing this for your sake, O Israel. He says, the, the nations that remain all around you will know that I, Yahweh, have rebuilt. I, Yahweh, have spoken, and I will do it. They will know that I am. And then chapter 39, verse 21, all the nations will see. Israel will know that I am Yahweh, their God. From that day onward, I will return, and I will have compassion on the whole house of Israel for my holy name in the sight of the many nations. They, those nations, will know that I am. Yahweh, because I made Israel go into exile among the nations and then collected them again to their own land. It's about his name. It's about his fame. It's about his reputation. It's about his glory. But it's not just future Israel. The prophets talk about God's future grace for, he uses this phrase in Amos, all the nations that are called by my name. Name, And even, it's striking to read that even Egypt, where that judgment took place, and where God said, I will ultimately make the Egyptians know me. Listen to Isaiah 19. This is verse 18 and following. It promises cities, quote, in the land of Egypt, will be swearing allegiance to Yahweh. They will cry to Yahweh because of oppressors, and He will send them a Savior and a champion and he will deliver them. Thus Yahweh will make himself known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know Yahweh in that day, whom Yahweh of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people. He will send them a Savior. The word there is Yeshua. It's the Old Testament form of Jesus. Egypt. Even Egypt becoming God's people, knowing his name. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. He had promised, and we see the ultimate fulfillment there of Romans nine, seventeen. But God also said through Isaiah, surely the coastlands will hope in me for the name of Yahweh. We would be the coastlands from, from the Middle East. The coastlands will hope for me the name of Yahweh. And it even mentions Greece and distant lands that have not heard of my fame and have not seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. Do you understand that's being fulfilled in our lifetimes? As distant lands and nations and even little islands being reached by missionaries, we support people from Greece and Europe and Africa and Asia and all around the world to the coastlands, lands that they didn't even know anything about the people who lived there in Bible times. They are knowing the name of the Lord. His name is being proclaimed to all the nations. And we have a part of that purpose, to proclaim His name to all peoples for the fame of His name. And so that takes us from what proclaim His name means to what it means for us. And the first of all comes right out of that language, proclaim His name to all. This is what the prophets called for. This is what Romans 9:17 is talking about. We we'll listen to Isaiah 12. It commands, "Call upon His name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that His name is exalted. Let this be made known to all the earth. We're called to that Isaiah 12 is speaking of, of the believers in the time of, of Messiah. We're called to proclaim His name to all the earth. And we're going to proclaim it with the heart of Isaiah 26. Where they say, your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Is that the desire of your heart? Because you, you've got to have that desire in your heart. Your name, your renown, your reputation, your glory. That, that's, I want to see others see that. And, and I want to see the nations be glad in that. That's got to be your heart to get past yourself, to, to, to even go to that co-worker, that neighbor, that person that you're going to see this week to speak of His name. We've gone from Moses on proclaiming His name to all, to the prophets. The Psalms also call us to this. Psalm 96, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. We need to tell people He reigns. He's sovereign. He's in control. He is, he is Lord. He has ownership over all of us. He is the Lord. And this is our day-to-day calling to proclaim that good news in His name that reigns. Day-to-day would, would be these days that follow in this week daily or, or as you have opportunity, as you go, making disciples of all nations And Jesus says that we're to be baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. It's not the names. It's not this name and then that name. There's there's one God and He's united in His name. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so you already kind of sense we're coming back to where we started, but To get us there, Luke 24 brings it all together on the Emmaus Road. Jesus is resurrected. Remember, and they're talking to him. He says, Don't you understand those the scriptures? And Luke 24, 27 says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. We've been listening, we started it with Moses and the prophets, but it says, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There's things that they're speaking about Himself. And and His name is one of those things. Verse 44 of Luke 24, Then He said to them, Everything written about Me in the law of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets must be fulfilled. The prophets, the Psalms, and Moses, they, they were writing things about Me and those things are fulfilled in Me. And then verse 47, He says this, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's Luke's fuller account of what he said at the Great Commission. Repentance for forgiveness of sins. That needs to be proclaimed in my name to all the nations. To tell them they, if they repent of their sin, if they turn from their sin, and if they trust in me, there can be forgiveness. But it's in my name alone. Christ alone. Romans 9.17 said His name would be proclaimed to all the nations. We're called to be a part of that in the words of our Lord Jesus. His name, the name of Jesus proclaimed to all the earth. How did they do that in the book of Acts? Well, his first sermon, Peter says, speaking of Jesus, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They say, brothers, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus. And then in Acts 4, he tells them, There is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we, which we must be saved. It is only the name of Jesus. They're asking him, by what name, what power did you raise this man? They said, it is the name of Jesus. It's about his name. And they say in Acts also, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through His name. That's through who He is and what He's done. He has that name that is above every name. The name at which every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the word Lord with all the meaning of everything we've seen about Lord. We need to confess Jesus is Lord. Romans 10 will say, you've got to confess Jesus is Lord to be saved. You've got to believe, trust in His death, but also that God raised Him from the dead to be saved, to show that He is Lord, to put His power on display so that His name would be proclaimed to all the earth. And if He is not yet your Lord here today, He's not yet your Savior. Call on his name, he is merciful and gracious. Remember how he proclaims his name, merciful and gracious, abounding in loving kindness, slow to anger. Believe in his name. And it says in John's gospel, This was written so that you, by believing, may have life in his name. That's why the gospel was written, so that believing in his name, you would have life as many as. Received him, he gave the right to become children of God to as many as believed in his name. And so you can go back to Romans 1. But that's some biblical theology of the name of the Lord that Romans 9 talks about would be proclaimed in all the earth. But look at Romans 1, verse 5. And Paul is talking about. The grace that God gave him in Romans 1, 5, in Christ, through whom, he says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Why why did Paul receive this grace, apostleship, and, and, and seek to bring about the obedience of faith? Here it is, for the sake of His name among all the nations. It needs to be about Him and not about us. For the sake of his name, there's a great book by David Duran, Missions for the Sake of His Name. John Piper also has a book subtitled The Supremacy of God in Missions, if you want to read more about that. Those are very helpful books. But verse 14 gives examples of Greeks and nations outside of their empire. And then verse 15, he says he's eager to proclaim the gospel in Rome, in the heart of the empire. As we look at this for the sake of his name, are you eager? Are you eager to proclaim this Gospel? Are you eager? Do you have something of the sense of what we've been reading in Scripture of God's heart? Is that your heart? That His name would be made known to others who do not yet know His name? Will you be obedient for His namesake? That's why this was written for His namesake for all the nations. And verse 16 says the gospel is the power of God to save all who believe, to the Jew and also to the Greek. And we saw in Romans 9 how God showed His mercy and showed His power in the past so that His name would be proclaimed in all the earth in the present and in the future. The gospel, think of His his power. the, The gospel is God's power now. It's how His name is proclaimed among all nations for His namesake. We don't have to look for some of the mighty acts and miracles like we saw in Egypt. The, the power that is spoken of here in, in Romans 16, the Gospel is the power of God and the salvation for all who will believe in His name. There is power in that name. We can trust in that name. We don't need to come up with other ways. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. So what this means for us, proclaiming His name to all. And then secondly, peace and hope in His name. Peace and hope in His name. If you look at Romans 15, Romans 9 said "And God's name would be proclaimed to all the nations. And He would be merciful to whom He would be merciful. Romans 15, verse 9, is about us Gentiles glorifying His name in worship. Just look at the end of verse 9. Where it says that we're to worship His name. The name of the Lord. Paul comes back to the name of the Lord. And he's going to bring in hope in verse 12. Notice verse 12. At the end of verse 12 says, In Him, speaking of Messiah Jesus, in Him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is where peace is found. This is where abounding hope can be found that we need. He's quoting from Isaiah. Part of what Isaiah said about his name. Remember that prophecy? His name shall be called. It's in the Messiah, that musical. His name shall be called. One of it is Prince of Peace. Wonderful counselor, and, and all of that. That's part of his character, who he is, the prince of peace. And, and David could have peace in the name of the Lord, even when he's under a death threat. In Psalm 52, the heading of Psalm 52 talks about how he's Israel's is most wanted. But he says this in verse 9 of, Isaiah, of Psalm 52 In your name I will hope. That's where my hope is. It's in your name, O Lord. I know your commitment to your name. I'm in your name. I'm trusting in your name. And so whether he was walking through the valley of the shadow of death or whether he was lying down in green pastures, David could have peace and hope that led him to still waters and to restore his soul because David says in the heart of Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness for what? His name's sake. You, you know that, but that's the, one of the great comforts of that great psalm. It's for His name's sake. That's good news for us wandering, weak sheep that He is leading us for His name's sake, not based on us or dependent on us or how we are doing. It's for His name's sake. It's, it's not based on our changing and often failing state, it's based on His unchanging, never failing name his namesake that's good news for us and that should give us peace and hope like first samuel 12 says yahweh will not abandon his people on account of his great name not on our account not because we're doing so great we're not often but it's on account of his great name it's to make his name look great Not us. And that's good news for us that it's not ultimately based on us or how great we're doing on any given day. It's not about you and it is good news for you that God is driven by something higher than you. And that's not just what the Old Testament says. We read in 1 John 2.12, "...your sins are forgiven for His name's sake." That's what motivates God. That's what should motivate us in how we love and serve. Are you doing it for yourself, to draw attention to yourself? Are you doing it to make his name look good? Like Hebrews 6.10 talks about love that you have shown for his name in serving. It's possible to be serving, but not really doing it in his name or for his name. We need to think of that as we serve him. We need to think of that even with with how we interact with children. Jesus talked about welcoming a child in his name. He talked about gathering in his name. And and to the end of the Bible, the Lord's name is what sustains us. The Lord Jesus says in Revelation 2-3, You are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. I was thinking about that. I think times where I grow weary or have a hard time bearing up or enduring patiently is because it's not, not doing it for His name's sake. I'm doing it for something else or someone else or me. This should impact everything we do literally. How pervasive should this be, this understanding? Colossians 3.17 says, Therefore, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the... what." Name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. So, last thing I think this means for us: this phrase in Scripture, praying for His namesake. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray: "Our Father who art in heaven." How does it start? Hallowed be Your name, and that should be over everything else that we pray, whether our daily bread or forgiveness. Put Your name on display. Honor Your name. Help me to reverence and and, and the reputation of Your name. Help that to be preeminent in everything I pray and do. Let Your kingdom come. Let Your will be done so that everyone might know Your name. We ask not for ourselves, but for Your renown. This is how the psalmist prayed. And I want to just give you Some of these, and and I'll I'll pull up some of these on the screen, but Psalm 115, verse 1. If you guys can pull that up. Not to us. Let's say this out loud together. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Let's read the next one. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my sins. Do you ever pray that way when you need forgiveness? Lord, for the honor of your name, would you forgive? My sins. Do we ever pray, Lord, not to me, Lord, not to me. To your name be the glory. Let's go to the next one. Psalm 79.9. Let's read this. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Start to see a pattern here. Let's go to the next one. Psalm 143.11. Let's read this. Revive me, O oh Lord, for Your name's sake. For Your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. You ever need to be revived? You ever feel just spiritually weak and dry and it's hard even to pray or to read your Bible? Here's a, here's a way to pray that revive me. Revive me, O oh Lord, for Your name's sake. Help Your name to be bigger and magnified to me. Make Your name important like it deserves. Psalm 109, 21. It says, deal with me. Let's read this. Deal with me for your namesake, because your loving kindness is good. Deliver me. That's good news that we can pray to God. Not based on our goodness, but based on, on His goodness. It's not based on our loveliness. It's based on His Loving kindness. This is the way they prayed in Scripture. We need to pray. This needs to change how we pray. And so as we come to a time of communion and confession where we pray to the Lord, we're going to have an extended time for that. Let's pray in this light. Let's not just forget what we've just seen in God's Word. This needs to change how we're thinking, how we're praying. Listen to how Jeremiah prays in Jeremiah 14. I think we have this one also. Let's, let's read this last one out loud together. Although our sins testify against us, O Lord, do something for the sake of Your name. For the sake of Your name, do not despise us. Do not dishonor Your glorious throne. That's how they pray. That's how we need to pray. Daniel. Daniel. Prayed this way in Daniel nine, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. But for your sake, O Lord, look with favor. For your sake, for your name, for your sake, O God, do not delay, because your people bear your name. We bear His name. We bear the name of Christ as as Christians. And we're to bear that name well in our relationships with each other, how we think of each other, our our unity as believers, dealing with sin in our own hearts. Those are things to pray about as we come to his table and listen to Paul pray for the Thessalonians. To this end, we always pray for you, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you and Him. That's 2 Thessalonians 1, like 11 and 12. That's a great prayer to pray for anyone. This is what I pray for you, that the name of the Lord Jesus would be glorified in you, and you in Him. And I want to let Jesus have the last word. I want to actually read how He prayed. As we come to the end of John's Gospel. This is what He prays. Father, glorify Your name. I have manifested Your name. This is John 17. I've manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You have given Me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in Your name which You have given Me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost. I made made known to them Your name and I will continue to make it known. He's continuing to make his name known. And he says that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That brings it up to a whole other level as to why it's important for us to be one and to love one another. And so let's pray in his name. And what I mean by that is consistent with his character and his will for his sake, for his honor, for his glory. Let's not just throw... In the name of Jesus in glibly. let's think of more as we pray of what that means. All of what we've just seen today is included in that name, so let's pray to it. Our gracious and merciful, long-suffering God, you have put your name on display. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to magnify and to exalt it, your name. And we know we can only come to You not through anything we have done, but only in the name of Jesus. And it's for His glory, for His sake, that I pray that You would help us now to live in light of this great truth for Your great name. And that we would speak of it to our neighbors and the nations. And to support those who... Go to the nations. We pray all of these things for the sake of Your name. Amen. Amen.